Good morning to everybody. My name is uh, Bobby, one of the pastors of this church. You know, I'm always very excited when the pastor says, now I will introduce you. Should I or should I not introduce you? Now, Pastor Arnold, he, he's, a, he's a real joker. He, he introduced it. You want me to say that you can walk on water? You want me to say that you can turn water into wine? You know, I, so I tell him, look, Pastor Arnold, I say that. You know, uh, you, know you can, if you say you, you, that I can walk on water, then I can accept. Uh, because Singapore, there's a lot of rain. In fact, you, you step on puddles of that, I think I can accept. But not the earlier one, okay? All right, the, I can turn water to wine. Although I say I would like to have that special gifting, okay? Right, uh, but, now, introductions are important, right? Um, but at the same time, conclusion is very important too. All right? So if you have your bulletin, please take it out and look at the, uh, our outline for today. Now, if you recall, for the past uh, 10 Sundays, we have been looking at the uh, ministries of the church, the practices of the church. And now, uh, if you... Pay attention, on the top left-hand corner, there is something like a word, we are getting there. We are getting there. You notice today, if you have last Sunday's bulletin to compare, today we are there. Alright, we are there. And so today we're going to conclude the, uh, the teaching on these uh, practices of the church. What does the church, uh, or what uh, does God's church do? Right. So my purpose today is to bring to our attention the ordinances of the church. Now, Jesus Christ, our Lord, has given two visible, two visible signs of His special identification. Right? Two visible signs of His special identification or His presence to His people. Now, these signs are baptism, Lord's Supper. Now, sometimes these signs are referred to as ordinances. Not ordinances, okay? Ordinances. For those who know the difference, ordinances means a bomb. Ordinances with the I before the end is, it means something that is ordained. That's the word that comes from ordained by Christ, okay? Other, other times and other churches, especially the Catholic Church and some of the other Protestant churches as well, they call this uh, the Lord's Supper as sacraments, emphasizing that they are sacred and holy. But for a Baptist church, our understanding from the Bible is that the Lord's Supper, the baptism, these are all symbol, symbol of who? Symbol of Christ and symbol of our identification in Christ. Christ himself ordained these two practices by his example and by command. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was baptized by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. At the beginning of his ministry. And then you recall he was led by the Spirit to be tempted. At the end of his ministry, on Good Friday, Jesus ordained the Lord's Supper. So if you have your bulletin, let's uh, track along with me. Number one, baptism points to Jesus. Baptism points us to Jesus. When we are gathered together and when we have a baptism service and someone, he or she come before the congregation and testify his or her testimony, the person actually is pointing us to Jesus Christ. Now three things we want to take note of. What does baptism represent? It represents the washing away of sin in Acts 22. It represents the death of the old life. And finally, it represents the arising to a new life. Baptism is a command from Jesus Christ himself. Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he says. And then he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then he went on to say, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a command by Jesus Christ. It's an example by him as well. I mentioned about the three things that it represents. The first thing it represents is the washing away of sin. In Acts chapter 22, Luke writes this way, And one Ananias came to me, and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, Luke is writing about Paul, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So when we come together for baptism service, when the candidate went through the waters of baptism, not only represent identification with Christ, he also represents the washing away of sin. And then he also represents something else, death of the old life. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And then he added, Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Death of the old life. So when we come before the congregation and we are being baptized by the pastor, we not only tell ourselves and tell the others, those who come to witness our baptism, not only I come before to wash away my sin, to the act of baptism, symbolizing the washing away of sin. They also symbolize the death of the old life. And finally, when Pastor Arnold leads the person into the waters of baptism and he says that, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then the person is lifted up from the water. It represents arising to a new life. So baptism is full of symbolism, pointing us to Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 4. Paul says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is the mark by which we publicly confess and profess that we wish to be reckoned by God's people. This is a quotation from John Calvin. Baptism points us to Christ now, let me talk about some of the uh, mode. The mode, the mode, I would say the proper mode of baptism is usually is immersion, meaning to submerge totally in water. Totally submerge the, the first person into water because no other form, no other form of baptism dramatically displays the death, the burial and the resurrection of Christ like immersion. No other form can really represent and portrays the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's this quote from a theologian who says, it is not possible to resolve the issue of the proper mode of baptism on the basis of linguistic data. And then he says, while immersion may not be the only valid form, okay, while immersion may not be the only valid form of baptism, it is the only form that most preserves 
and accomplish the many, meaning of baptism. This is from Millard Erickson. Now, at this point, I want to pause and slow down a little bit because we have children in our midst. You know, children, when they see the parents take the Lord's Supper, they have, uh, and of course, baptism, and so they are, in one sense, mystified. Right? They were, in one sense, puzzled. And so, let us ask ourselves this question about infant baptism. Infant baptism means that your baby is born maybe about maybe six months to a year when the person is, when the baby is not afraid of water, you want to put the baby into infant baptism. Now, infant baptism is practiced by the Roman Catholics, Anglicans, Presbyterians, and Methodists, as well as some of the Lutherans as well. Perhaps they have changed, but the idea is that for the Protestant church I mentioned, they, are, they defended it on covenant theology. As infants in the nation of Israel were circumcised and thereby brought into the believing community, so infant baptism is the counterpart of circumcision, brings the infants into the Christian community. But we understand that the Bible tells us that baptism is only for believers. It's only for believers. And it, the Bible, unfortunately, did not tell us what age should believers should be baptized. The fact that believers are commanded to be baptized, as in Matthew 28, verse 19, the Great Commission, right? The fact that believers are commanded to be baptized does not give the church the license to baptize indiscriminately. So in other words, not just children, how about even the older folks? We do not baptize indiscriminately. So the key thing for us to know that is that repentance must precede baptism. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, repent and be baptized, not the other way around. So therefore, whether it's a baby, baptized, uh, infant, or whether it's an older man or woman, woman, the key thing is that they must repent and then they can be baptized. So maybe you can tell a baby, you know, still sucking the thumb, repent and baptize the little one. If not, then I would suggest, as this our church practice, by the way, where there's an age of accountability, where the child, if he or she is able to be very sure that he or she has repented. As this also applies to the older folks. He or she is sure, repent, Receive Jesus Christ. Then, please, attend Pastor Arnold's class. Now, baptism points us to Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? When you are submerged into the waters of baptism, you're actually holding your breath for about three seconds. Right? 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, about three seconds. When the waters envelop you, you're actually declaring to the world and to Satan that you belong to Jesus Christ. Satan cannot hold you in his clutches anymore. When we are baptized with Christ, we are identified with Jesus and because of who we are in Jesus, this new identity, we are no longer our old self as I mentioned just now. Baptism points us to Christ because of our identity with Christ. Now let me ask you a question. You know what's the difference between a costume and a uniform? I think for the younger People, especially now there's this thing called cosplay. I don't know how to even pronounce the word cosplay or cosplay. A like costume play. Right? You see those Star Wars people, the character here and there. Now yesterday my wife and I, and, and me, we, we were at the Kovan Fellowship. For those who want to know, uh, alternate Saturdays we are at the Kovan uh, Baptist Centre. We actually have uh, prepared ourselves for outreach into the community. And so after the, the, uh, the dry run, our practice, our meeting together, prayer and so on and so forth, Bible study, so she and I, we went for a walk in the Kova area to, to in one sense, uh, conduct a prayer walk. So we, it was about nightfall. And, and when we were walking, 
Lo and behold, you know what we see? We, we saw a, a, a young man. It's a man, okay? Young because he's, he looks young. He, he wears a Spider-Man mask. Alright? Young because but you can see his shape. You know, it's not like me. Huh? So he wears a Spider-Man mask. So I was, I my wife, look at that. Spider-Man mask, full mask. You know, he wear and he's walking. I was very tempted to take out my iPhone to snap, but you know, maybe he's Peter Parker. You know, you better don't play around with him, right? So, but the thing is that, ah, I tell myself, next time I invite him, if I see him again, but what's the difference between a costume and a uniform? A costume like that like gentleman yesterday, he acts the role, he's, he thinks he's Spider-Man. I hope you don't grab the tree, right? A uniform. Uniform, you are the role. When you put on a uniform, you are the role. You don't act like a policeman unless you're cosplay. Right? If you're a policeman, you put on, I think you better, you know, you walk in this manner talking to people. The difference between a costume and uniform. Costume, you act out the role. Uniform, you are the role. Now, when we are baptized with Christ, we don't Act out the role. We are the role. We are believers in Jesus Christ. Satan cannot touch us. The world cannot touch us. Because of who we are, yes, but more important, because of who Christ is. Second point, we talk about Lord's Supper. So we have baptism, the first ordinance, then we have Lord's Supper, the second ordinance of the church. There are only two ordinances of the church. Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper points us, again, like baptism points us to Jesus Christ. On the first Sunday of every month when we gather together, Pastor Arnold will lead us into a time of partaking of the Lord's Supper and you will, he will mention certain things which we will discuss later. But the bread that he breaks, that is unleavened bread, is tasteless because uh, there's no leaven in it. Uh, in the time of the uh, Passover in, uh, in, in Jewish time, they cannot, put, they cannot put the leaven because they have to leave very quickly. Right? At the same time, Unleavened represents purity. And so the bread that Pastor Arnold breaks it represents or symbolizes Jesus' body, which is broken for us. And then, of course, he took the cup. The cup meaning the, the, the contents inside the cup, not the cup, of course, right? So, but he says, Pastor Arnold will say, the cup represents Jesus' blood. When we take the Lord's Supper, it points us to Jesus because the third point is that it, we will remember Jesus' death on the cross because it, it happened on Good Friday. At the same time, we anticipate Jesus' return. Bread, Jesus' body. Cup, Jesus' blood. And when we do that together, we remember Jesus' death and anticipate His return. The text for our consideration is taken from Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28. Pastor will usually read this uh, passage. Now, as they were eating... Matthew writes this way, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take it, this is my body. So the bread represents, symbolizes Jesus' body. And then Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Bread symbolizes body. Cup represents his blood. And the third point is that when we party our Lord's Supper, we remember Jesus' death. At the same time, we anticipate his return. Verse 29 of the same uh, passage. I tell you, Jesus says, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So when we party our Lord's Supper, there is an air of uh, reverence, obviously, which is important. At the same time, there should be an air of anticipation and excitement. Christ is coming. Whether he, we meet him first or he come and see us, 
we will see him one day. And Jesus Christ assure us, now we drink through the leading of Pastor Arnold, but one day we drink through the leading of Jesus Christ himself. So just as the baptism points us to Jesus Christ, Lord's Supper points us to Jesus Christ. So do you know what that means if we partake of the Lord's Supper? When you partake of the Lord's Supper, do you see the bread and the cup as a holy breakfast? Oh, this morning I didn't take the bread. I take a bigger piece, you know, I'll take two times. When you partake of the Lord's Supper, do you see that as a holy breakfast? Next time when you partake of the Lord's Supper, don't rush through it. Let the, let the elements, that means the bread and the cup pass through the aisle. When it's passing through, remember, because it symbolizes Jesus' death, right? Remember what the bread and the cup is representing and reminding you about Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Now, similar, similarly to the baptism, I would like to ask this question. Who should participate in the Lord's Supper? I think this is more important than the question of how to participate. Whether there is a certain form of style, so, who? Who should participate in the Lord's Supper? I think this is more important, and I want to address that. Paul tells the believers in Corinth that participating in the Lord's Supper testifies to participating in Christ's blood and body. It is the believer's personal identification with Jesus' saving work as symbolized by the bread and the cup. And if you recall this passage, Pastor Arnold will read it every once in a while to remind us 1 Corinthians 11, 27. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to 29. It reads like this. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let the person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. The two ordinances of the church, the first one, baptism, points us to Jesus Christ. The second one, Lord's Supper, points us to Jesus Christ. There's a third point we want to talk about the ordinances of the church. The ordinances of the church act as the, the marks of a true church in three areas. It, it's obedience, it's an outward sign, and it's, it's optimism in Jesus' victory. What is the difference between a church and a club? What differentiates us from non-believers that gather together? What distinguishes Christians in a church from a group of men or women gathered together in a different religious setting? If we are not sure and aware of what does the ordinances of the church represent, GBC will become a tourist attraction. It will no longer be a church. Now, three points. Obedience. Ordinances act as the marks of a true church. Firstly, is obedience mentioned. I mentioned just now is Christ's command. In fact, he himself set the example. If you look at baptism on, in Matthew chapter 3, he was baptized. He told John the Baptist, look, please baptize me. John the Baptist said, you are, no, no, you are my Lord. Your shoelace, I cannot even tie. They say, no, baptize me. So, Jesus Christ himself not only set the example, it is a command. So, the ordinances of the church represent, number one, tells us of who we are. We are obe obedience to Jesus' command. 
Number two, it has, it is, these are outward signs or visible boundaries that distinguish, I mentioned, a particular group of people who are given the name Christian, otherwise to become a tourist attraction. Outward sign, when you come together, we pray that more people will be baptized, not to increase our membership, but to tell the world, tell Satan, hey, I belong to Jesus Christ. And so, it is obedience, it is outward sign or visible boundaries that distinguish a particular, particular group of people, us, from the rest of the world. Oh, but there's another thing I want to bring us to attention. There's optimism in our victory in Jesus. Now, Christ came not only to preach, you know, or to teach, but also to be a ransom for His people. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Therefore, when the church, the people, the Christians, as you are very well aware by now, the church means the body of Christ. As the church come together, we are not simply coming together to be instructed or edified. But we come together as a group of people who are ransomed and saved by Jesus Christ. We have victory in Jesus. Of course, the teaching is important. Preaching is important. The entire worship service is important. But when we gather together, we are not simply gathering together to be instructed or to be edified. We are getting together because we are ransomed and saved people. We have victory in Jesus. Now, do you know, therefore, what that means? Do not leave this worship hall half filled with only the information of the explanation of the two ordinances of the church. Point to Jesus Christ. Point to Jesus Christ. You should live here with the joy of the Lord. Because Jesus has paid the price for your sin and mine. And therefore, we practice baptism and we partake of the Lord's Supper. Because we are God's people. We are the redeemed men, women and children. These two ordinances remind us who Jesus is and more important, it reminds us that Jesus had redeemed you and I from the bondage of sin and death. And Jesus has reconciled us with our Heavenly Father whom we will worship and have communion for all of eternity. Jesus has come into this world to save you and I from sin. The first application for us, for those who have not confessed your sin and accept Jesus as your Savior, personalize your faith in Jesus today. Right now, ask Jesus to save you. I will give you an opportunity for a response later in our prayer. For those who are believers, Believers, remember, repent and then be baptized. So if you have not been baptized, Jesus will come again very soon. He will gather those who are his followers. Now publicize your faith in Jesus. Be bold in becoming a witness of Jesus. Share the gospel wherever you are. If medicine may not be your mission field, how about your home, your neighborhood where you are where you are staying? How about your workplace? How about your school? Those who are non-believers, personalize your faith in Jesus. Those who are believers, I think it's time for you to step up, publicize your faith in Jesus, and be a bold witness of Jesus Christ. The two ordinances remind us who Jesus is. We are saved from the bondage of sin and death and reconcile us into the Heavenly Father. Do not leave this worship hall dejected, 
But we lead this worship hall because we have victory in Jesus. I will lead all of us in prayer. Father, we come before you. We thank you for giving us the two ordinances. We pray, Father, that you help us. We do not go through mechanically the two ordinances. For many of us, we perhaps have been baptized a long time ago, or even from perhaps from another tradition, another church. And we have uh, lost touch with the meaning and the symbol of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so we go through the motions week after week. We pray, Father, that that shouldn't be the case. Remind us again as we, in closing the practices of Grace Baptist Church, which is your church, for those who have not had a relationship with Jesus Christ, we pray, Father, that you allow them to speak to you individually, privately, or if it so be, to approach any of the pastors. For those who are already believers, Father, we pray that you help us to publicize our faith in you and be a bold witness for Jesus today. Amen. I heard an old, old story. This is a, this is a song. It goes like this. How a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood atoning. Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing. How he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, Dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and broke brought to me the victory. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day, I'll sing up there the song of victory. Can I invite all of us to rise together and sing this song of victory in Jesus as we trust God to lead us forward for His glory.